0: The show begins. Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ, and welcome to The Spirit of EQ podcast. On today's episode, we have a very special guest, John O'Hagan, real estate entrepreneur, former touring musician
1: life is a journey spirit of eq helps shape and guide the road ahead for individuals leaders teams and organizations striving to realize their full potential through emotional intelligence spirit of eq is a coaching and consulting company that assists individuals and businesses to reach their full potential by developing emotional intelligence In business, managers and leaders recognize the value of training to develop leadership skills. What they may not realize is that those skills are far more effective when they pay attention to not only performance, but also to people. Emotional intelligence is a crucial skill because people drive performance and emotions drive people.
0: And joining me as always is Jeff East with the Spirit of EQ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hi, Eric. Nice to meet you, John, and everyone out there listening. All right. So, John O'Hagan, welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast.
2: Oh, Eric and Jeff, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate uh, I appreciate y'all having me on.
0: Hey, John, I, I've got to give a little background for the audience uh, about you and I and how we met and how this kind of came to be. And um, we have a mutual friend who also happens to be named John who uh, sent both of us, I think, an email saying, you know, you two should meet, so I'm going to introduce you. And I was just so intrigued uh, by your background, and obviously, maybe most importantly, John's fondness for you and the things that you've done to help him. I'm thinking, of course I'm going to have a conversation with the guy. But truth be told, I wasn't thinking about you being a guest on our podcast that's why this is really kind of cool because i can't wait for the audience to get a taste of your life and all the things you've done um but when we got on the phone uh because i know you had some i you wanted to know a little bit about podcasting and what we were doing with it but when we got on the phone was talking and and i didn't tell you this john but as you were talking i'm going man this guy he's got a voice and he's got a story he'd be a great guest for us (laughs) <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm going to go ahead and spring it on him, and then that's that's when we were as we were talking. I said, "Hey, well, if you're interested, you know, we'd like to have you on, because as as John, I think I told you, I said um, our deal is is finding those kind of people that have a great story and are conversationalists, so." That's how we met. Then, you know, fast forward as time and scheduling and all the rest. We were able to get you on the show today. And like I said, I'm super psyched and 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 looking forward to the conversation. So. um, All right, John, so I'm going to jump right in and I'm going to go to your entrepreneur journey. Right. Um, And, you know, I'll let you tell the audience a little bit about some of those ventures that you've been involved in and. and, and what kind of led you to them and that kind of thing. Um and then I've got some other side questions around it that I'd love to to throw at you as well. So tell the audience, how did you what what was the start of your entrepreneur journey?
2: Oh man. Um so first off again, thanks thanks again for having me on here. And um yeah, I, I had no no idea that it would be a recruiting phone call. I thought <laughs> <laughs> I thought John would uh you know, he you spoke so um with such great affinity for you that I was I was really excited to make, make that connection and I appreciate that you were willing to have a conversation with a stranger out of the blue. Yeah. Um and yeah, same thing when we were talking, I was like, oh, this, this dude's gonna be a friend for a long time. I can feel that already. Um <laughs> yeah. and yeah, so I appreciate the interest. I mean, I don't know, Jeff, I, I hope you're okay with, with <laughs> Eric just making that, that decision to <laughs> throw the line out there and have me on without any information, I guess y'all probably work that out. We,
1: um, we we do that to each other, so don't worry. Yeah, there's a great level yeah. of trust.
2: Yes. <laughs> <Right? Yeah>. uh-huh. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, so my entrepreneurial journey, My both my folks, my mom and dad, um, as long as I've been alive, have been running their own business. My mom ran a, I guess the term would be like desktop publishing uh, before like, computers were even like a like a like a commonplace practice Mm -hmm, so -hmm. i grew up in like large weird warehouses full of like type like like physical metal type font like and printing presses and just really fun stuff when you're a kid uh i didn't realize that you know i was getting picked up from school and rather than going home like my friends i was i was set loose in this warehouse. I'm surprised I have all my fingers. <laughs> now that I think, think about that, I think about that as a father. I need to have a conversation with my parents. Uh, <laughs> like, but, um, they were always talking business in the way that, you know, a family, I mean, we weren't affluent, right? Like we were scraping by and as technology changes and things like that, i I watched them have to adapt and, mm-hmm. and change. And so I was there, Uh, Eric, you made a point before we jumped on the podcast about on-the-job training that I had not really connected. It just sort of was what Mm -hmm. my experience was. Mm -hmm. And so, like, there were times when, you know, when we were paying for McDonald's dinners with change, and then there were times, like, you know, my dad bought a brand-new Acura, and I felt like we were the richest family in the world. So Mm. I've had, like, I've watched the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Um, So I guess that was sort of in my blood i don't know if y'all follow any of the the four personality types uh four tendencies as a as a general guideline but one of them um, is just how people react to internal expectations and external expectations and um my therapist had me kind of take some of those tests and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm of the rare <laughs> the rare personality type that pushes back against everything and i think that's what Led me down the road of punk rock uh, and and sort of pushed that that whole punk rock um, do-it-yourself like way of life. I, I think I was sort of predetermined for that and had the example of my folks just doing it themselves. Um, so I didn't have any of the stigma around. I wasn't comfortable working for other people. I wasn't comfortable giving the reins away, and you know, going from that to working for other people like you inevitably have to do when you're you know a teenager or um adolescent mm-hmm. starting to get your first jobs. Like, oh man this this sucks <laughs> <laughs> like i feel like i have a better way to do this like every teenager does whether i did or not um <laughs> but I, I knew that i knew that i was smart i knew that i was capable and i always felt you know now at you know, 39 years old, I can look back and say I was cocky at the time, but it felt real. Um, Mm -hmm. But I've never had a boss that I worked for that I thought was like significantly smarter than me or was more capable of doing their job than I could. Um, So I think that attitude sort of permeated everything I did. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, from playing music to um, any of the other more professional ventures, and I don't know how much you want me to get into that at the moment, but
0: well, that's uh, – John, uh, I'm going to – because there's so much we want to cover with you, um, and I – there's something you said there that kind of got me thinking about the connection to uh, – of of self-knowledge, right, where we, where we get yeah. to that place where we go, okay, I know these things work. I know these things don't, and I'm only going to focus on the things that I know work, right, um, because yeah. – You've met them, we've met them, there's so many people who are playing a different role than what they were intended to play, right? And yeah. it, it's tremendously inspiring to me when we have a guest, when we have, you know, in our work, those folks that go, hey, I may not be the the most uh, kept and most smartest, but at least I know who I am, Right. Or at least I got a good grasp on that. So within that, did your parents, did they encourage entrepreneurism in you? Or did they, hey, I don't want my kid to have to deal with the ups and downs of entrepreneurs. Where where did they land on that?
2: (laughs) So um, my dad is very similar to me in the... um, like no one can tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. So inevitably, he and I would clash. And I, I we have a complicated relationship that has absolutely been... It, it's been challenging at times, but it is always based in love. And mm-hmm. so, like, I, I don't have, like... I, I wouldn't disparage my father. I think he's challenged me in the right ways. But we're so similar, sometimes we'll butt heads to a degree that that can be... You know, uh, complex and, and conflict resolution isn't or wasn't really a, a, a giant skill set for either of us, <laughs> and so. Um, but you know, there were things that he that he said and did that, that that always rang true for me, and that was as long as you're not hurting anybody, I don't care what you do for a living, and I don't care. Like, like if you're happy and you're not hurting anybody, I don't care if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, clean the toilets at, you know, at a hospital. I, I don't mm-hmm. care as long as you're happy and you're not hurting anyone, um, which, you know, funny enough, like now I'm involved heavily in combat sports where literally I hurt people, but um, <laughs> I also get hurt. So that's okay. <laughs> 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 but, um, you know so I, I never felt pressure from my folks at all uh, uh for a career direction other than i had really high expectations because i was smart so they were like like we're not gonna basically like you're gonna have a work ethic it's gonna be a strong one you come from a family that has a like strong work ethic you're not gonna coast on being smart you're going to have to work too whatever you do you know like basically i would come home with b's and c's and they'd be like oh yeah obviously this isn't okay like and i'm like what those are fine like who cares like no you're an a student you're you've got the smarts for it we expect A's from you Mm -hmm. um so i like i appreciate it i didn't appreciate it at the time i appreciate it now Understand that they were building a work ethic in me without the expectations of like social they didn't care what the Joneses were doing. They were doing their own thing Mm -hmm. and they didn't want me to worry about impressing them, but they didn't want me to slack and coast either. So I think You know, I think a little bit of them Had that like, you know, my, my parents are I think second generation immigrants Irish and Italian and so from Brooklyn they have a lot of cultural stuff from, from back East that, um, you know, follow, every, those things just follow all of us around to some yeah. degree. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think they, in the good times when you're an entrepreneur, you're like, I couldn't imagine doing anything else, but then, you know, when something really bad happens and <laughs> all the eyeballs are on you, you can, like, oh, I I done, you know, I wish I would have just done, I wish I would just been working at Louby's cafeteria or whatever, like, and not have to deal with all this pressure. Yeah. Um, but you know, so I was, I was, my, my goal was to be an ER doctor, uh, like, since I was little, I just, I wanted to be a doctor and Mm -hmm. that was the goal. And I (laughs) did the, did all the things. And, um, it wasn't until I passed, you know, after I graduated high school, um, that I sort of, my, my interest sort of waned a little bit in that, um, I wound up going to community college and like, it doesn't make sense to like, spend all the money for pre at a university and I don't know I don't want to live in a dorm I just live at home it's fine and do the prereqs because it's cheaper my folks were willing to pay for college and have the ability to so I had that privilege and I wanted to save them some money mm-hmm. um, and so they were really excited about it my dad and I would talk about <clears throat> which med schools and we'd go in and look at them and so they were really supportive and excited about that I think from the from the protective aspect of you know that sort of like immigrant mentality of like I I came here you know my my folks came here I I worked my butt off um, but I want you to have something a little more solid
0: yeah yeah
2: absolutely yeah and then I think after about a year and a half of you know just totally coasting through college I don't I don't do well in a classroom environment and I was unhappy and as I got older, I got more stubborn, and uh, I got to sit my folks down and let them know that I was going to be dropping out of college to join a touring punk rock band with my idiot friends. And instead of becoming a doctor, I was just gonna do this and kind of see what was up after that.
0: <laughs> wow. You know what, John, is you're mentioning that there are uh, so many uh, similarities, um, to you and I, and our, uh, I, I, consider it wiring. Uh, and, and I'm going to go back to, um, our first conversation when we met, and then I'm also going to yeah. kind of tailor that into a little bit of my next question. But, uh, you, you mentioned something to me about, uh, realizing at some point in your life that y- you were not going to be a good fit for some, uh, you would not be a good employee i think that's how we kind of were were wording it and um where my road went differently uh than yours is that i tried to talk myself out of that like that kind Uh. of like that kind of well I, i i can be a good employee and i can stay in one place and i can i can just put my as much time as needed and i and i i can take it and i can take it and it caught up to me and it smacked me so hard and i realized and it took me a long time that eric this is who you are this is who you are be
3: what this. do you
2: think it was that motivated that motivated that that sort of dysregulation where you were you were speaking out of both sides of your mouth to yourself
0: well i think the biggest part of it john was um i was trying to be uh I was trying to be Superman to everyone I was closest to. And I connected that to performance. See, if I jump over this building in a single bound, number one, you're going to love me more, right? And then number two, Oh yeah. I'll get an award. I'll see you look at their applauding. Now, the, the weird thing about this particular episode, too, I have to say to the audience, is that this is the first time that we've ever done a show where we've had three bass players. <laughs> Jeff is a bass player, I'm a bass player, and you, John, are a bass player. So what I'm about to say is going to connect both of you and that idea of, okay, um, the applause. As much as yeah. I was into the art, there was something about Hearing somebody give that kind of response that was rather intoxicating, right? And oh yeah. And for me, if I if I played a certain note or a certain series of notes, and it kind of triggered a great feeling and happiness for you, well, let me do that again because that just shows <laughs> I'm really Superman, right? I'm I'm I am that guy, and I think yeah, um, like in every situation with Superman there's always the looming possibility of kryptonite and in my case I got kryptonite about 15 years ago and through the recovery process that's when I started to get to the conclusion that I'm not that guy I'm not the corporate guy I'm not the guy that's going to stay for 15 20 years I'm just not and I was I finally got I got to a place where I was okay with that I was actually good with that, so
2: yeah. You totally. didn't feel like you had to show and earn love. That was already you were already worse and, and entitled to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, as you, uh, all of us, uh, John. I think if we if we truly are going to just be blunt, honest about it, right. No one ever yeah. came to me and said, um, oh, by the way, Eric, um, your mom, your dad, your wife, your kids are going to need you to be Superman. So here's your cape. Uh, here's the S on the front of your chest. Um, and I will be back tomorrow to see how many buildings you've leaped over. Because we get into these narratives and, and these narratives yep. in our head that that we just make agreements with. We just we just say, oh, well, yeah, that's the way it must be. So therefore, I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z, um, which I'll say this really briefly. And Jeff, I want you to jump in here. Um, I found this exercise, uh, and I can't remember her name, so I'm, I'm not even going to try because I'll butcher it. But it's a little <laughs> exercise that is designed to help us with those narratives. And the exercise goes something like this. Okay, I have this thought that I need to be Superman. Ask the question. Eric, is that true? Okay. And mm-hmm. then even if your answer is, well, yeah, of course, because I need to ask the question with a follow-up, ask a follow-up question that goes, is it really true? Mm. The answer to is it really true in most cases, no, it's not. Then what are you, you, you going to do? That that has helped me, kind of deal yeah. with those narratives. That, quite frankly, John Jeff, they're still around. I still have times where I go, "Hey, you know, if I uh, tell them about this great thing I did, I bet they'll applaud. I bet they'll. I bet they'll think I'm I'm a really good guy." So, <laughs> you know, this works. So, anyway, okay, I'm yeah. going to pivot, Jeff. You.
1: John, one of the the kind of running jokes that Eric and I have in our podcast is some way or another we work some music metaphor into the podcast, and it's usually around <laughs> for Eric Miles Davis, and for okay. me Rush.
2: <laughs> A solid, solid, uh, solid reference points, of course. Yeah, yes, yes.
1: yes
0: it is, it, it is very, very true. Very, very true. Um, so. Speaking of music, well, okay, go ahead. I'm ask going. my question. I thought that
2: was a question. No, that was just
0: no, a statement. Was,
1: okay, that wasn't a question. <laughs> that was John. a lead, in, lead I, into the question. A lead in. <laughs> so, why did you decide on playing the bass?
2: Oh man, that's a really easy, easy answer, um, and not a very deep one, unfortunately. Um, so, my friend Chad... Who uh, I met we were freshman year high, uh, freshman year at a Catholic school. Uh, was my, both my folks went to Catholic school, so I went to Catholic school even though we weren't Catholic. But that's they grew up in Brooklyn, and that's that's where you went. So um, I went to Catholic school. My first the first week or so, I met this kid named Chad, and he was really into punk rock, and I really I was into punk rock, but I didn't have any older brothers or sisters and there was no internet and there was no way for it. It was this far out, um, this whole thing that I wanted to know about. It was underground and I had no access to it. Uh, but I was really into skating. I was really into like riding bikes. And, uh, I really loved the, the, what I thought punk rock was. I met Chad and Chad made me a mixtape of all these crazy punk bands that I had never heard of and pardon me um, and so all of a sudden I had a punk friend and we were going to be punks together and we talked about music and we traded records back and forth and he was like hey I I, I know a guy who plays drums and you know I play guitar you should play bass and I'm like I don't know how to do that he's like it's easy dude there's only four strings and I'm like (laughs) oh yeah that's true that's two less strings than guitar you know like that that makes sense (laughs) Um, and we went, so my birthday was coming up and I asked my parents, you know, for my birthday present, if I could get like a bass, like a, a bass setup, and so I could play music in Chad's garage. And neither of my parents play instruments at all. And they were like, well, oh, I don't know. You know, we don't, we're not sure that we want you doing music <laughs> and like, it, it was just felt unfamiliar to them slash, you know, fast
3: forward <laughs> a few years later and they would, we would regret doing it. I'm sure. <laughs> right. Um,
2: but, um, you know, I felt like I've been in sales my whole life. So I was able to, uh, explain to them how, <laughs> you know, how good music is for the brain. And I was struggling in math and math and music have a lot of like interwoven concepts. And I think it's something that would really help me concentrate and, and maybe make math make more sense. And, um, I think my parents just rolled their eyes and went, "All right, fine." <laughs> and we went to a place here in town called Bizarre Guitar, and I bought. Um, they they oh, what kind of music are you going to be playing? And I'm like punk, and they're like, "All right, you're going to want a, a, a Fender P bass." And I didn't like the swoop of the pickguard on the Fender P bass. I wanted something more clean line, so uh, I was like, "No, nah, I think I like that other one." Like, well, that's a jazz bass. That's not going to give you the tone you want. And I'm like, I'm 14. Uh, like, I don't know how to play this. I don't care. I want the one that looks cool like that. And I think it was <laughs> black, too. The other one was, like, white or red. And um, and the guy totally gave me a hard time. He's this, like, you know, 45-year-old, which felt ancient at the time, like, hesher, metalhead guy. And he just was like, no, you don't want that. And I'm like, like, uh, anytime somebody says that kind of stuff to me, I immediately, I'm always going to kick back at that. So, um, I left with a Fender jazz bass and a little Fender single 15 amp or 15 inch speaker amp and enough, um, you know, chords and everything to make the, make the whole thing work. And I just, I played that thing nonstop. I taught, I, I had lessons a little bit, but they were only once a week. And like, at 14 there's like you've got a new thing that you love like all i did was play the bass nonstop. uh so i just kind of figured out how to play bass and you know took the lessons um but man it was i just wanted to be in the band it seemed cool i wanted to impress chad and that was the only position left in the band so that's what i did <laughs> and and, <laughs> and i still play uh jazz basses to this day i don't i don't mess with the the p-bass at all
1: all right so i've got one more question with this yeah what do you what is what would you describe as the role of the bass in a band
2: Ooh, so i think it depends on the project right um in most of the bands that i've played bass in i think of the bass as like a like scaffolding in between the drums and the guitars so there's not a lot of melody in the the punk bands I play in, and so I don't worry too much. And, and usually we're playing really fast, so there's not a lot of room for like any sort of filigree or, or show show offiness. Um, I, I like to think like obviously we're playing same or similar notes. You know, obviously you want to introduce some dissonance into to a sound if the song calls for it, um, but you know, like syncing up and bringing the, the like the, the kick drum and like the the syncope between the kick drum and like the strum pattern of the guitar. So I think like the scaffolding that the that the song comes together in is just that like like keeping it driving and keeping the momentum um, while connecting those two instruments is, is really the the way that I see my role as a bass player.
1: So so how does it feel when you're doing that? the way you want to do it?
2: (sighs) Um, I think that's one of those things that is real hard to describe unless you've done it. And there are, it's like, how do you, how does a surfer describe hitting the wave? Um, and really like, really just like locking in, um, it feels like the most natural thing in the world. Like something else is like you're rather than creating, you found something that was already existing and needed to be there and you kinda like play around it and then once you find it you're in. Um and then it feels really natural and like, oh yeah, that's what was that's what I was searching for which is weird because you are creating it, right? Um, but oh wow, that's a really
0: You're doing a great job, by the way, in describing it. I
2: never particularly locking in.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because, Jeff, to to John's point, um, and, John, another area in which you and I have a connection, because I play a Fender Jazz. um, Yeah. And I have a 1979 uh, Fender Jazz. And um, at some point, I'll tell you the story behind it and how it came to be. For me, please. Um, But I've customized it, and now because I was a big Jocko fan, right? So Jocko Pastorius was like, I was that kid in his room listening to Jocko's lines over and over, and and trying to figure out what in (laughs) the
2: trying to figure out what. Oh my
0: gosh! And yeah, I would pick that guy, right? Because some of the stuff (laughs) he did on that thing was just mind blowing. But um, what's interesting about that, uh, where I was going to go with it, is that, you know, you know, it is hard to describe and unless you've done it. And I I had this situation a few weeks ago. Uh, My wife is talking to me because now when I play, it's mostly for therapy. And and the the and the amount of time I can spend doing it is limited. But I've been learning the art of these micro moments of playing. Right. And. Yeah, uh, I'm playing this song that, that, that was fairly complex and everything and my wife was asked well, so was it hard to, to kind of and I said I don't know how to describe it, it was Just I just knew what to do and it wasn't because I was some virtuoso it wasn't because oh my gosh look at you it was just like you described it John it's like when you go to that place and it's like you know what to do there and it's, mm-hmm. like, it's like for lack of a better way of saying it, it's like Going to a home that maybe you've never been to, but you've always been to. I, I don't know. I guess that's my way. Yeah,
2: like that's one me. of those weird dreams where you, you're in a Kmart, but somehow it's also your dad's house and you know it. You're like, what? I, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, right,
0: right, right. Exactly. Um, all right. So I'm um, going to ask you about that part uh, or a different part of your musical career uh, and then I certainly want to get to some of the ventures that you're involved in current day because you've got a lot of them. But so from a music standpoint and decision making, can you look back over your musical career and kind of think, okay, yeah, that was a really good decision, and and then maybe if if you feel right, feel comfortable. What was one where you go, ah, that was that was not a good decision?
2: Oh yeah, um, so. I think, I think honestly, like one of the, you know, looking back, obviously a huge fork in the road for me was deciding to pursue, to pursue music, uh, to the degree that I, we were, we were going to try to see how far this particular project would take us. Mm -hmm. Um, we're playing music that we knew couldn't or wouldn't necessarily be mainstream. Yep. Um, but and you know it's hard to convince five you know young men to get on the same page about anything, <laughs> uh, let alone creating some art together, and let alone being like, "Hey, do you guys want to like torpedo uh, our early twenties? Our singer was a little older at the time. Like mm-hmm. our early twenties and mid twenties. Do we want to torpedo the normal experiences?" Mm-hmm. that most people seek and, and you know, essentially put our lives on hold to try to, like, tour across the country and see what we can do with this project. And to get everybody to be like, yes, was... It seemed very natural at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, of course we're going to do this. We really care about this project. Like, let's go. This is what you do.
0: Yep.
2: And now looking back, it's like, oh, my God. Like, now that I'm, you know, Older and I've got you know houses and cars and you know people who rely on me, and I've got you know a, a family and yeah yeah uh, it's like oh my gosh but but what a what an amazingly opportune time to have had that as an option right and I have a an uncle that's like a terrible person, um and I don't say that lightly, and I'm not a big fan <laughs> of disparaging people, but right you know really really bad person um and he of all people was like consoling my mom about like you know what felt like uh a a huge um i don't know just jarring difference in what was happening yesterday versus what was happening today Mm -hmm. and he told her like look you know the, the guy doesn't have a He's no family, no mortgages. He's a bartender, you know. Like he, but like, who cares? Like, um, let him go do this. This is the only time he can do this. He can't do this after he's in medical school debt, like right? Like you can't go through med school and come out at thirty whatever years old and be like, I'm gonna go play in a punk band, like right? Go make you know. Like I was lucky to come home from tour with you know thirty bucks in my bank account, and you can only kind of pull that off when you're in your like teens and, and early 20s if, if you've got folks that are like yeah you can keep your stuff here while you live in a van that smells like farts and five other men live in it right like there's there's really only a short amount of time when you can pursue that like maybe if you're in a large band or a band that has like the potential for commercial success but we were a punk band like there was no chance of us getting on the radio other than like the like ska punk hour show or what you know like right, the, right, the, right. like the small little snippet. Um, and even then we were the band that was like, all right, these crazy hardcore bands, like, you know, we weren't, we weren't ever going to make it as a career, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know, it's like, we also had record labels that put out records for us and gave us like, we, you know, we didn't pay to record anymore after our first, uh, seven inch it was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like we had a recording budget from a record label and they bought us a tour van and they, you know, like, like, so we had like success to some degree to where it was sustainable because the record label is motivated to keep us on the road selling records. And um, we're obviously motivated by writing music and, and being on tour. So I think that huge moment that didn't feel so large at the time, mm-hmm. it felt inevitable of just being like, yeah, I'm going to stop the, the trajectory that I've been on. And go this direction. We're just going to do it. Um, was you know the best decision? One of the best decisions I've ever made, other than deciding to become a father. Like <sighs> I think, like that led me down so many things of like proof of concept. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if I put my mind to it, and I decided we were going to do a thing, like cause I was. We had a manager that was uh, a good friend of ours, and like her and I were like band mom and dad we would book all the tours and like our singer was really helpful with a lot of that stuff. But like, you know, I, I booked the majority of our tours. I did a lot of those things with Michelle and we were, we were just making this project happen. And like <laughs> you've broken down in a 1976 mini Winnebago outside San Jose in the Los Baños exit for like the fifth time <laughs> on tour. And you're just like, how, how are we going to get out of this one? And then you pull it off. Like business decisions don't seem so scary, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like cold.
0: We have eleven dollars in the band account, and something is like on fire under the hood. That that can't be good. Like, how are we <laughs> going to pull this off? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um. So, uh, any any thoughts on a on a bad decision?
2: <laughs> um. There was. There was a record label that we signed to that I think I think we and more specifically I I think I was the the, the more of the driving decision like they were they were very punk in ethos and um I wanted a little bit more protection from you know they were strangers and they wanted to put out a record and So we wanted to like write contracts and like, you know, just like keep everything on paper and keep it legit. And, um, I think a lot of that was really fear-based from our end and, um, they were willing to do it, but I think it really like, uh, it, 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 fractured the relationship before it really got a chance to be, to get started. And, it wound up just being sour the whole time, and we we wound up moving on to a different record label, and there were like a lot of bad feelings. And I think with a little more perspective nowadays, like looking back and being like, "What was I afraid of? Like, were they going to steal our music that wound up costing them money anyway? Like, we never made any money for record labels. Like, we we were lucky to break even for them. What was I afraid of that I was willing to like hmm. sacrifice a relationship for a?" a, a you know, a scarcity mindset um, outcome, and as a general principle, I think I try to not do that. I live in—I I try to live in abundance, and I try to like make sure that I put relationships first, almost yeah. in, in everything, because I think everything else can be sort of worked through and, and figured out if everybody's putting the relationship first. So I think mm. I think we kind of in, we burned that record label without necessarily meaning to but i'd say that that's probably like the like a big regret that i we just kind of took ourselves too seriously too early in that particular relationship and gotcha it wasn't the right fit you know
0: yeah yeah so i know that this is on the minds of our audience can you tell us some of the bands or the band that that you were with uh if, if that's okay
2: oh yeah yeah absolutely um so the the band that I toured in for the longest time, the sort of biggest project I was in, was called Where Eagles Dare. Um, it's a Iron Maiden song. It's a misfit song. It's like a Clint Eastwood movie. <clears throat> um, like, there were a few other bands that came later and sort of took that name once the internet, because this is, you know, early 2000s before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, these are the MySpace and Friendster days that we didn't have Spotify or YouTube or any of those things really. Um, so I think I think we're on Spotify. Some of the old records are on Spotify under "Where Eagles Dare" A Z because we're from Arizona. Um, but there are some weird like European metalcore iterations of "Where Eagles Dare" that is like like the like the black hair and the, oh. like the painted black eyes and yeah 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 stuff that was it was not us. <laughs> um, so there's there's. A couple of them still out there. Um, but, I mean, there's a couple records you can still find on like Amazon and stuff. Somebody sent me a link a while ago. It's like, oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> and then uh, another band I toured in for a while uh, that I actually sang for instead of playing bass is called Royal Monsters. Um was a little bit of a darker, a darker project. I was <laughs> going through a divorce and uh, <laughs> needed, needed a different kind of outlet. Where Eagles Dare was really like... Positive, like we call like the, the genre would be called like Posi Core, um, and it was a really it was a really fun project. But that's where most of my touring and like okay. recording and nice. negotiation with record labels and all that stuff like that's where all that experience came from was from where Eagles Dare.
0: All right. Wonderful, wonderful. So when when you think about the 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 thing that struck me, John, you know you've got this this energy. And you're involved in a lot of different things. And I, I would imagine there were times when there was a singular thing. Um, and then I imagine you probably have moved. And I don't know if this is current day. Maybe you can tell, tell us. Um, how do you manage and keep it together when you have these multiple? Because, and for our audience, we'll have in the show notes, uh, you know, John's bio. So you'll see some of this. But how do you balance when you're in multiple ventures like you are?
2: <laughs> um, that's a, it's a great question. And, and, um, you know, just to, to see folks having to read through my bio real quick, I'll give you, give a quick one if that, if yeah, that helps. Absolutely. Um, okay. So I have a, been a realtor and, and now designated broker and co-owner of a, a real estate brokerage here in town. Called retro real estate. We focus on historic and mid-century modern homes for the most part. Uh, it's a small niche, but it, we do a ton of business, even though we're a very like small boutique brokerage. Um, we're working on getting franchises going up and down the West Coast and the Hawaiian Islands because those places have really beautiful, you, you know, a, a large percentage of the homes in those areas are, are gorgeous mid-century or historic bungalows and things that are, are really inspiring architecture and inspiring homes which i think mm-hmm. you know the the goal is always to live somewhere that that helps you build a baseline and keeps you fulfilled and um i think that's like the key to a good life is is feeling safe and and inspired at home so mm-hmm. that's our goal as a brokerage um so i've been doing that for about 14 years um with some other companies and things like that but now we run our own show which is really fun um I was the co-founder and co-owner of a tattoo sh- a tattoo shop here in Phoenix um called Golden Rule Tattoo and only a, a, about 2 months ago I sold my shares to my business partners uh who are still two of my best friends and one of them was the singer in the band I was mentioning that we we toured together oh, wow. um but yeah. So in, I think it was July 2009, we opened up our first tattoo shop with two artists other than him and uh, grew into a shop that owns two buildings um, and 17 artists, about, you know, 25, 26 people, full staff, like a lot of families um, got to got to live a fulfilling life making art based on the, you know, on the, the business model we had. And mm-hmm. Golden Rule Tattoo is pretty uh Self-explanatory, right? We try to overcome all the obstacles that people were concerned about. They wanted a tattoo, but are, are you know put off by the image of tattoos? So uh, you know, our motto was clean, friendly, professional, because that's what everybody worries about when they're going in.
3: Yeah,
2: um, I'm really proud of that. We we got I think seven years running number one tattoo shop in Phoenix and in Arizona, and tons of awards, and just we built something really special. Um, but for me, it was time for me to focus on retro real estate and um, also train, teach, and compete in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for the last 11 years. I'm a brown belt under Nathan Ziegler, it's like of House and Gracie, is the, the lineage of our, our um, system here. And I teach twice a week, I've, you know, competed in Japan, all over the country, and you know, trained all over the world whenever I'm out there. I trained in like a bombed out and uh split croatia like you just uh, it, wow. it's been a it's been an amazing journey and and when i was talking about combat sports like that that's a big regulation for me uh to be able to if i don't train for a little while <laughs> whoever i'm dating or or married to is like you need to go train and like <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, a huge part of regulation for me so um you know, yeah. but it's it's more than a hobby, right? I've I've had professional jujitsu fights, I've I've it's not something that I try to make any money off of. Um you know, if I'm if I'm going somewhere to teach a seminar, I'll you know, like twenty bucks come in and I'll teach it you you're like but I'm not trying to make a living yeah. off of jujitsu. Yeah. Right,
3: right. It's
2: something I'm very passionate about, but I, I don't I don't want to make that my living. Um and I'll get into the answer of your question it'll tie in here, I promise. No, no worries um i can feel you guys looking at the clock and i'm sorry to everybody
0: and we're not uh, <laughs> and we're not this is great because uh, uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna forewarn you john i'm I'm gonna kind of change my question around as you're unfolding this so but but keep going okay <laughs>
2: um so i so those are like you know and i'm a father um my daughter eleanor danger is uh six and a half years old mm-hmm. and i uh, just the, the light of my life i mean i have she goes by Nora. And so, like, my fingers, I've tattooed on my fingers the words Nora's dad. Oh, like, nice. it is everything in my world is is to make hers better and to, uh, is dedicated to her. And, um, I'm also partnered. My, my partner Ashley and I have been together for about five years. We live together. That's Nora's stepmom. And, um, you know, so I've got a lot of things on my plate that are very, very important to me.
0: So let me let me. uh, I'm I'm going to shift and give you that different question um, because it well you made it very clear. At least it's clear for me that. These are things that you seem to have a great deal of um, mastery over. And I know you're not perfect. And I know you make mistakes and all that other good stuff. But you're not talking about it in a sense. I don't get a sense of like, well, we did this and we think we're going to do that. And then, well, we're not sure if that's going to work. But we, we, now we're going to look at the, you know, it's not all over the map. So it's maybe more of the question is, John, um, is it just something in you that you know, I've got to do some things? It's like you you are like you you hear the voice and you got to go. Do you, does that make sense?
2: Oh yeah, um, ab- absolutely. And I I have again my my goal is never to disparage anybody. Right? I think everybody has their own journeys and they have all the things that are contributing factors to the way that they reflect the world that we all live in and and all of that. But one of the most like jarring and unrelatable statements to me is I'm bored. Right? Mm -hmm. Like I I have folks that I knew and, and grew up with and that I care very deeply for and they'll say I'm bored and I'm like how are you bored? There are so many things I want to do. There are so many things I want to explore and learn and do and I can't, I can't, I couldn't do them in ten lifetimes, and I have to constantly like regulate myself and be like, no, we, it's not time to go learn how to surf, right? Like, like you, you're three hundred and fifty miles away from the closest ocean. Relax, like, <laughs> and and I love that. I love new skill acquisition. I love new. I love learning things. I love. I love pursuing perfection while just face planting and like, you know, waking up with my face in the covered in sand and snot coming out of my nose. I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm terrible at this." How awesome is that? I love, you know, getting a little bit better. I'm like, you know, in jiu-jitsu, I'm getting my ass kicked every single day. Like I've been doing this for 11 and a half years. I train more than most people and every single day there's somebody sitting on my head cranking my arm while I'm yelling tap. Like there is no mastery of that. The levels of that, I'm so deep that mm. I'll never, I could dedicate 10 lifetimes and I'll just never be the best in the world. So I love the pursuit of that. But yeah. um, like those those micro victories and those mini, those, those, those mini like, oh my God, I lasted for five minutes with him without getting tapped instead of two minutes. Like that feels like I won. Like I'm rolling around the gym, like ripping my shirt off yelling. <laughs> <laughs> I just, he beat me, but it, at least no, it took him five minutes this time. Like that's such a bizarre thing for most people, you know, to, to get behind. But I've got the, the moment my eyes open, I'm just like excited about the potential for the day yeah. and what can I do today? That's you know, everybody has off days or whatever, but like there are so many things I want to do, and there are so many ways that I want to like help people, and there are so many ways that I want to, like, people, so I want to make. Nora's life better, or Ashley's life better, or my folks or like like people around me that like that I care about, like there's not enough there's just not enough time. So yeah, yeah, like yeah, for sure feel like, oh I gotta go. And my my big thing and like the stuff that I talk to my therapist about, right, is like all right, and not to be pandering, but the, the the EQ analogy for like front of house is what I actually like use, uh, in my, like, I have all these things on a, on a soundboard and, you know, as you push on a soundboard, one level up, right? Main vocals, lead vocals up, the others come down. And that to me is what life is like, okay, if I know I have a fight coming up, I need to put more time into Jitsu, which means that I know that I'm giving up spending time with my daughter. I know that I'm giving up spending date night with Ashley. I know that I'm like... retro real estate that more of my, um, you know, more of my stuff is going to fall on my buyer's agents or my, you know, my partner Rochelle or like, I know that to pursue something else means giving something else up and trying to regulate with that is like, and be realistic with that is, okay, do I want to learn how to surf? Like, no, not, I'm not willing to do what it takes to learn how to surf because that means giving up a lot of other important things. Wow so that that is how I've learned to um, regulate and that's like a big decision of why I sold my shares to my partners at the tattoo shop. It's like I'm not as passionate about it as they are and that project deserves people who are all in and I'm all in on retro real estate. I love that stuff. I can't wait to like get those get those things going and I did what I wanted to at Golden Rule. And um, you know, I owe it to the other things in my life, that the other obligations and obligations has a pejorative context, but I don't. I don't view it like that. Like I'm so lucky to be counted on. Oh. And so I, I think like I serve, I serve those obligations, and I owe those obligations, and it's like at my pleasure, like to do those things. So, oh, that's great. It's it's a game of just playing with that EQ board to make sure that I'm not letting anything go all the way down. you know
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah one of the things that you said was that that struck me is you want to make things better for other people with your retro real estate that's the name of the company how do you see that making things for making things better for people
2: oh i've got a big (laughs) i've got a lot of things to say on that I'll, i'll try to keep it succinct but um you know, pack a lunch for a moment, boys. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and these are, these are things um, I'm happy to provide links for, or, you know, most of this stuff is data-driven based off, like, peer research polls and things like that. But um, as a whole, in America, the most consistent way to financial stability for folks to not be worried about where their next meal is coming from, not to be worried about paying rent, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not talking about like um, mass affluence, but just just where you're feeling comfortable um, is not the level of education. It's not how much you make from your job. It's whether your family and you particularly are a homeowner. So. The majority, 96 or 97 percent of Americans' largest asset is the equity in their home. We look at the statistics between the wealth disparity among minoritized folks, black folks, brown folks, and white folks. The average white family right now has 10 to 12 times the amount of wealth as the average black family. And that is one hundred percent of the time, we're not talking about massive, um, like massive inheritance, like past millions of dollars, is due and can be drawn statistically, like like drawn directly to intergenerational wealth through private home ownership, like land ownership. And so, there's a lot of atonement that we, as an industry, National Association of Realtors has to do because we have I mean there's a lot of factors at play but as a member of the National Association of Realtors and as a designated broker of a real estate company I'm going to focus on what I can reach out and touch and change we used to advertise white only neighborhoods that was like part of the package oh it's got big you know floor to ceiling windows it's got new insulation we'll only sell to white people and so Minoritized folks in this country for a very long time were unable to have access to the same opportunities. And, you know, you can, wherever you're out in the political spectrum, we can rec- recognize and understand that inequity and opportunity is a problem. And,
0: John, I I'm going to interrupt you. Because yeah. some of our audience, just so everybody knows, John wasn't saying that his real estate firm would only sell to White's. It was just <laughs> him giving an example of the historic nature yeah. of this problem. So I just had to get
3: that in <laughs> Thank there. you. Yes, yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> All of that changed legally <laughs> with the passage of the uh, Fair Housing Act. Um, but, yeah, so these are, when I say us, I'm talking about National Association of Realtors and the history of our of our uh, trade organization, not us as retro real estate. Thank you for <laughs> no worries, <laughs> that man. Course. No worries. Um, um, but you know what we what we need, I think one of the largest things that would be effective is making homeownership the opportunity for homeownership more accessible across the board, because that is again, I think the the then this is a data-driven decision. This isn't me doing any sort of like performative virtue signaling, right? I'm not, I don't care. I'm looking at the data and going, okay, this is what we're, this is what the data is telling me. Um, We need to undo and atone for some of those, some of those things where we, we were directly responsible. We historically speaking, being the National Association of Realtors. um, So what we're doing at retro real estate now, you know, 20 basically from 2019 on is we do a lot of stuff about historic neighborhoods and we do, you know, but what we don't do is whitewash the history of them. So there are historic neighborhoods downtown here in Phoenix, that in the covenants codes and restrictions in the deed, it still says that no one other than a member of the white race shall be able to be deeded into this neighborhood. Now that's illegal, Right, It's unenforceable, but that's still there. And so when we give a history of a particular neighborhood, we don't just give the great stuff. We talk about the bad stuff, too. Um, we talk about what it was like back then, and we champion towards NAR, National Association of Realtors, things that will increase homeownership in minoritized groups. Um, I'm working on a module for a nonprofit called Persevere Now. And what they do is they take folks that are incarcerated mm-hmm. and they teach them how to code, as in like back end computer stuff. Um, and those folks come out of incarceration that have successfully graduated that program with, a, I think, almost 100% non recidivism rates. They come out with like a 70, 80K a year job, they come out with a skill set, and they've had a lot of training. And so working on a pathway to uh, <laughs> citizenship, pathway to home ownership course with them to talk about uh, that I'll be teaching inside the prisons um, to talk about the importance of home ownership and what that means for the future. Because the best time to plant a tree was 50 years ago, right? The best time for your family to buy a house was 100 years ago. But the second best time is today. John, I'm... And so... Go
1: ahead. What you're talking about is very near and dear to my heart. I've spent the last 30 years uh, involved in prison ministry. Um, wow. And actually, that's the place I play the bass the most, doing that. Uh, but what you're talking yeah. about with the recidivism, the, the, the program that I work with gives, gives people a spiritual background for when they get out. That's awesome what you what you're describing is the is the other half of the equation is let me put it this way: people can't get around the fact that most people are not going to die in prison, they're going right. to get out, and what kind of a neighbor do you want
0: yeah yeah, yeah
2: yeah well, i and I mean,
0: go ahead, go ahead Joe sorry. i'm sorry
2: no please please i i'm
0: I just I was going I was just gonna say um as as I've looked at um and and i have a I have a brother who uh has been in and out of prisons for majority of his adult life um most of that through his own decision making that kind of led to it as far as uh substance but one yeah. of the things that I can tell you just from my experience um and America has done a lousy job um It's almost like the equation of um, if, John, you, Jeff, and I are going to a car dealership, and you you guys are coming with me because I'm going to buy a new new car, and uh, you guys are excited for me because I've been wanting this car, and um, you hear me say to the dealership, you know what, you can get rid of those two back tires. I only need two. You guys guys would say to me, Eric, you can't drive a car with two wheels. If you want something like that, you got to get a motorcycle. (laughs) But no, 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 John, uh, Jeff, I'm fine here, man. I I only need two wheels. I mean, because what we've done is that we've said, oh, your mental health? Ah, no, I don't need my mental health. Your physical health? Yeah, that's important, I think. Uh, My doctor has given me pills to take care of. Your emotional health, I just, emotions, that's not for me, man. That may be your thing by my mind. <laughs> No, thanks. No, thanks. And your spiritual, hey, don't push your religion on me, right? Yeah. But, but all of those four things are with us, whether we want to realize it, accept it, whatever, right? And I think so many times we send people out after they've made a mistake into a world ill-equipped to be able to get back on a road that's paved, that it has, you know, it has guardrails. It's like, again, man, we just, and, you know, maybe that's in some ways uh, that's the one big lesson that we, I know for us at Spirit of EQ, what we're trying to do is to, especially on the emotion side, is that idea that, no, your emotions are there, they're your ally. And the better you get at managing them, the better your life will get because you're going to be a better decision maker. Um, so yeah. So that 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 was kind of what you you kind of prompted that a little bit there. Um, all right. I,
2: so. I love that so much. Like my so much of my own personal work has been to not make emotional decisions to recognize that like okay, it's a big flood of emotions and those need to be seen and validated and listened to and you know <laughs> accepted that they're real. But my emotional position is not my intellectual position, and I can't get to my intellectual position until I have, like, ridden the wave of that emotional position, felt all the feelings about that, seen and recognized, heard them, told them, thank you for being here. I know you're here to protect me and to help me, but I'm going to wait a minute. Until it's, I can feel a little
0: more clear-headed, I want I to let you know, John that, oh, John, that this podcast is being recorded, and we could just use what you just described as a
1: commercial for what we try yeah. to
0: tell the world. That's awesome. That was an awesome
3: description. <laughs> since,
1: since there's three bass players on this, <laughs> I was just thinking, you don't walk into the music store with thousand dollars cash in your hand, because oh, yeah. you will probably. Huh? <laughs> You'll spend $1,000. Yeah, whether you need it or not.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right, John, the conflicts of time have come upon us. So I have a sense yes, that we need a part two, and uh, we've done that before. <laughs> so if you're open to coming back to our wonderful uh, laboratory, uh, this has been awesome. Yes, You've it was. been awesome, and and we've just enjoyed it immensely. Um, I, it would
2: be an honor to... Okay. Cool. All right. I I love it.
0: We have yet to we've yet to have anyone say no I don't think I want to come back <laughs> so <laughs> we got a good streak going and uh, we definitely want to so um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more um, we'll get uh, and if you want to send over to us some links that you think people might value and we'll get that into the show notes as well and um, I just again I can't thank you enough John and, and I know Jeff enjoyed it as well yes. so with that ladies and gentlemen those of you out there in the land we really appreciate you being with us today and uh, we look forward to our next time together Take care. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ. I'm not introducing a new episode today. I'm here to tell you some things that might help you. Jeff, you're with me as always. So
1: how do people get in touch with us? Well, the best way is just send us an email at info at com. That's awesome.
0: Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for them, so reviews on all of the platforms wherever you get your podcasts yes. you think
1: that'd be good i think that would be great because one that will help us learn how to make better ones and it's always good for us so to we're, hear. we're not the perfect podcast host we're close okay all but, right but, but not, still, not totally we want perfect. your feedback we want your feedback but it'll, it also might uh, let us know a new subject hey we need to dig deeper into that So let us know what you think.
0: Cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ. I'm not introducing a new episode today. I'm here to tell you some things that might help you. Jeff, you're with me as always. So yes.
1: how do people get in touch with us? Well, the best way is just send us an email at info at That's awesome.
0: Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for
1: them. So reviews on all the platforms wherever you get your podcasts you think that'd be good i think that would be great because one that will help us learn how to make better ones and it's always good for us so we're we're not the perfect podcast host we're close okay all right but but not not totally we want your feedback we want your feedback but it'll it also might uh let us know a new subject hey we need to dig deeper into that so let us know what you think
0: Cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or, or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Once again, we really appreciate you tuning in today. One of the things that Jeff and I want to bring to your attention as well is that when we created this podcast, it was not intended to take the place of a clinician. In other words, if you find yourself in a place where there's something deeper going on or something that you cannot solve on your own, we do recommend that you reach out to a clinician of some sort. This podcast is purely opinion-based, and it is rooted in the desire to help you along your path in whatever way we can. However, it is never going to replace, nor should it ever be looked at as a replacement for clinical help in any way. Thanks again for tuning in.